Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and coming back and joining us here um, on the show, The Future of Veterinary Practices. I'm your host, David Hall, one of the co-founders here at Genius Vets, and I'm very excited today. As you know, um, Genius Vets, we're, we're all about independent veterinary practice owners. And there's been so much happening, you know, over the past year, it's been such a turbulent time. Uh, we've been reaching out and doing these webinars on a weekly basis to reach out to industry leaders, um, a lot of, you know, CEOs and medical directors from some of the largest companies in the industry. But, you know, what's most important, I think, is really getting the perspective and sharing knowledge and information that's been gained through this time from your colleagues, from practice owners who are out there, who are dealing with it, who are being successful and having success um, in their own changes. And today we have an incredible veterinary practice owner joining uh, the program. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Brad Miller. Dr. Miller attended Texas A&M University where he obtained his Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree, graduating cum, de, cum laude honors in 1991. He's a member of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Georgia Veterinary Medicine Association, American Animal Hospital Association, and Gwinnett County Veterinary Medical Association. Dr. Miller is the medical director and a founding member of Georgia Veterinary Associates, which you can find online at mygavet.com, which is a group of four privately owned animal hospitals in the metro Atlanta area. It was established in 2002. So uh, really knows, and, and I've known Dr. Miller for several years now, it is my absolute pleasure to bring him on the, the program today. Dr. Miller, thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. And David, thank you so much for uh the invite. Hopefully we can have a uh, meaningful conversation. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we were, at, we were chatting just before um, getting going here and I was just, hold on, you got it. We got to save this stuff because there's just gold <laughs> falling all over the place. So, um, you know, get ready. I think you guys are in, in for a treat here. So, you know, to start off, Dr. Miller, one of the first things that I'm asking everybody on this season um, of the program is, you know, it's been such a crazy year. We've been in lockdown for so long. What are you most looking forward to once COVID is completely over and we can just go back to business as usual? I think the ultimate answer is I am sick and tired of wearing a mask. I mean, when I walk out of surgery on a normal day, I'm so used to pulling my mask down and just taking a deep breath. Um, it just, it's really taxing and tiring. Uh, we got a long way to get there, I know. I, I really want clients back in the rooms, back in the hospital. Um, I want to go to live sporting events, to concerts, I want to travel. Yes. So all of those things I'm really, really missing, but I, I am, I'm sick of that darn mask. You know, I tell you what, be, before all this, right, if you, if you somebody, saw someone wearing a mask, it was like, whoa, what's wrong with you that you have to wear a mask to be in public? You know, what, yes. what are you paranoid and petrified about? And then you started seeing them and it was just so weird, a surreal experience, going to stores and whatnot and seeing people in masks. And now, now if you see someone without, it's like, whoa, where's, what a short exactly. period of time to have such a massive change on the psyche of just moving around in public. Yeah, now, now it's the, uh, the uh, maybe the redneck in Home Depot that you see without a mask and you're, everybody's <laughs> looking and staring at, at him or her uh, yeah. versus the, the, you know, the typical airport scenario that you described, you know, a couple of years ago when, when you would see just a, a rare, a rare person wearing a mask, just, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah. what the new norm is. Yeah, uh, wild how fast we adapted to that. Well, so another, what I think really important question, and, and this has been an important topic of conversation really in the veterinary profession, especially for years. 
Um, but particularly with, with this last year of COVID lockdowns, crazy political climate that's like tearing friends and family apart, um, you know, a lot of stresses and changes, turbulent time. What have you been doing to protect your mental health? Several things. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to stay as healthy all around as I can. So uh, pretty easy to kind of come off your dietary plan during the early days of COVID when we were really stressed. So I am trying to eat well, trying to exercise. One of my favorite things to do is to get away and go to a local park for an hour to an hour and a half, go for a run, a walk, a hike, uh, just get out and kind of enjoy nature and, and kind of decompress. So that, that's a big thing for me. But I guess also we, I've had a, a We've all had a crazy year, but I've really tried to step back and not only realize myself that I'm not perfect in practice or really in, in any way, but also let my, my staff, my associates know that as well, because most of us do tend to hold ourselves in this industry to a pretty high standard. And, and I think that's fine to have that standard, but I think you also have to realize that you are going to have some failures when you, when you have aspirations that high. You know, it's, I think it's such a really interesting point. That's a, a bit different answer came out there than a lot of people have said. And I think it's, I really truly do think it's brilliant. It's um, the point about being real and allowing people to see that you're not perfect. You know, that's, um, we, we went through for years, such a tremendous uh, pressure of social media being introduced in, as a constant stream in everyone's life. And what do you see? You only see their perfection little, you know, Instagram worthy, perfect family portrait thing. And it's so easy to look around and say, well, they're all doing fantastic and it's just me. Um, and very similar to the whole trend where, you know, in the modeling industry, for instance, and all the ads you're constantly exposed to all day long, where it's just nothing but perfection, perfection. And now in recent years, it's more like, no, here's what real people look like wearing the clothes or doing the thing. And you're seeing it on social media. Some people are really starting to wake up and, and say, hey, this is actually really me, you know, I'm, I'm successful, I do this, but I also struggle this way. And it, it doesn't make you a more real person. And I, I think it's important for everybody's mental health to see those things. Um, yeah. that, hey, these people that, that I look up to and appreciate, that yeah. they're normal. <laughs> during, during a lot of my consultations, which I do a lot, a lot of orthopedics here. Um, and so we're doing some big procedures and, and I tend to always end the conversation with, we're going to work as a team together. You me and your pet, and, and we all have a sign, the same common goal of getting your pet back to as close to 100% normal as possible. So we all have to put effort forward. And, and you know, I truly believe that. Just try to be really open and honest and, and real with people. Let them see who you are. And, uh, you know, most of our clients will accept the fact that we are really humans and we're not, not, not perfect. So uh, that just seems to kind of help a lot with my, my conversations. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, your practice is such a great culture that you've cultivated, you know, over time, uh, you know, and that, and doing that, getting that working together as a team, everybody's bought in, everybody's on the same page and they, they also feel okay to be real. Yeah, um, absolutely. Moving through it. What about also, you know, in our conversations leading up to this, a bit of talking about minimizing news, you know, and social media time, how, how do you, how have you been doing that? Share that a little bit. Well, so I will, I will preface it by saying when, when all of this went down and we were having the, uh, the task force news conferences at 5.30 to 6 o'clock start time, um, I was all over that. I, I was glued to the computer screen. I was taking notes. I, I knew every day what the changes were compared to the last. Um, 
since then, I have really kind of taken the opposite uh, viewpoint. I do want to know what's going on. I tend to listen to a lot of talk radio when I'm coming to work or leaving work. That's really enough for me. Um, I don't want to get into the sensationalized news stories. Um, I just, I'm not really into social media that much. I don't, I don't really, that's just not my mode of operation. Um, I want people to be happy. Yes, I care about their lives, but I don't need to get deeply embedded into their lives. Uh, so, you know, I want to know what's going on, but, but a little, a little dab will do you. Yeah, that's just great advice too. There's so many, um, I love reading, you know, lists of uh, successful people's tips for, you know, getting through the day, getting more done and all that. And so many are gravitating towards limit, limit that social media time, you know, especially get yeah. in and get out, you know, and <laughs> talking a lot about it. That's great. Well, um, thank you for that advice. I mean, it's obviously working for you. You're a highly productive individual and quite stable, happy and successful all through all of this, you know, turbulent times and everything. So great, great notes on that. I'd love to, to shift uh, direction a little bit and really kind of dive in to, you know, trends in the veterinary industry, um, the types of things that are pressures, um, the independent practices are, are, you know, feeling now and just kind of get your take on some of this. Sure, um, absolutely. So let's, let, let's start by talking about consolidation. You know, okay. honestly, I mean, this is truly an existential threat to independent veterinary care, you know, and I, we're talking a lot about how, you know, the conversations that need to be had are, you know, do we want independent veterinary care in this country 10 and 20 years from now? Um, because if we do, I think that, that people need to start, you know, really paying attention to how quickly so many quality practices are disappearing and getting snapped up and just what is this going to look like? Um, so, you know, from your perspective and you're so plugged in, you're a, you're a VMG member, you're plugged into an amazing group of colleagues there. You're active in the industry. I see every time I ever go to a show or anything, I mean, you're all over the place, um, and staying connected. Why do you think that practice owners, what are the driving forces, first of all, behind practice owners selling right now? Well, I, I guess, first of all, I think the, the further we go down the road, the, the less practices are available for sale. Um, I do believe the typical person or group that's going to sell to a consolidator is either at the age of retirement or they are just tired and stressed out and they're ready to get out of, of the industry. Um, maybe they're tired because they can't hire associates uh, when they need an associate. So maybe they had to go back into the exam room when they were uh, owning and, and not even practicing. Um, maybe it's HR issues. Maybe they don't know how to market. You know, all these little things, which there are solutions out there and available, but uh, some independent veterinary practitioners just don't know that those resources exist. Um, on, the, on the other hand, a lot of practitioners over the past five years have thought we were at the high point in the market where the consolidators had bought most of the practices they were going to buy. And we're about to burst the bubble. And so we need to go ahead and take that high multiple and cash in while we can. Uh, I truly don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, if you have a successful practice and you're continuing to grow and you're, you're watching your, uh, your P's and Q's, then you should always be very, very uh, much in the, on the radar for the, these consolidators. So that's kind of the way I look at it. I'm, I want to practice as long as I can 
as long as mentally and physically I can practice, I want to own my own practice. I want to be the owner. I want to reap the rewards of all of my efforts. Why in the world would I bring my practice to the successful place that it is? And the minute I get there, turn around and sell it to a corporate consolidator who, I mean, the bottom line is that they cannot do this without us. The one thing they have to have is veterinarians. Yeah, they can they can develop HR strategies. They can hire accountants, you know, CFOs, CEOs, all the different O's they can hire. But they've got to have veterinarians that work for them. So, um, you know, I, I just I, I would definitely encourage everybody if, if you're if you're burnt out, if you're stressed out, take a step back, try to get some relief, try to hire another veterinarian, try to try to tap into some other resources. And if you still feel like you would really like to be the owner of your, of your practice, uh, then that's what you should do because the trends are typically if, if you are not at the age of retirement and you sell to corporate, uh, on average within two to three years, you're gonna, you're gonna typically regret your decision to do that. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a huge statistic and, and, and very real and a lot, of, a lot of practice owners need to hear that who are considering. Um, you made a couple of just incredible points. One, one being, I want to, I want to back or go back into them because one of them was a lot of people thinking they're at max value and on the bubble and they're going to sell. And remember, there's you're, you're anyone who's selling. If you're selling to a consolidator, it's they're buying it for the value, for the revenue generation potential that that has and what it is going to be. You know, there's upside to it, and that's what they're buying. Um, Absolutely, so it, it, it's certainly giving away upside. I think that, you know, personally, I, I feel that veterinary practice owners that really are running their business tightly, that really have it down, that have all of the areas, not just practicing the medicine. So many veterinary practice owners got into it, I think because they wanted to practice good medicine, they didn't want to do it some other way. And so they got into it. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're carrying the whole world on your shoulders, you know, if you're doing absolutely everything. And there's so many that I think do get burned out. And I love that you're talking about practice ownership, because really, being a business owner and, and owning a business aren't always the same things. A lot, so many people who own a business, they own, they own a job for themselves and they work hard at that job. They work in the business constantly and really hard, but a, a business owner really works more on the business and can step back and isn't the person who has to do all the things day to day. They're the person with the vision. They're the person who's directing it and absorbing those, those rewards from it. Um, yeah. And just not yeah. enough practice owners are running it that way. You know. Yeah. Do, do you own the business or does the business own you? And so when the business owns you and you start getting taps on the shoulder from your drug reps to say, hey, I've got this group coming into town next week and they want to take you out and they want to talk to you. And they want to do this, that and the other. Uh, sometimes it looks like an easy way out. But ultimately, just think about what is your end game? If you're ready to be done, this is a great way to be done. If you're not then uh, again, lots of resources out there. That's, you know, I get offers on a weekly basis to go somewhere to a retreat with a consolidator or somebody's coming in the Atlanta area. Uh, you know, do you want to go Dr. Miller? And oh, hey, so-and-so called me. And I, I, I tend to decline most of those offers because they, they, they being most consolidators are very good at what they do when they are trying to recruit you into their organization. Yeah. And uh, the grass often looks greener on the other side. So uh, 
I'm just kind of cautious, you know, uh, I can buy my own meals typically. And if I want to go bird hunting, I'll go find a place to go bird hunting by myself. I'd rather do that than with a, a bunch of, uh, of guys I don't really know. So I, I don't know, that's just kind of me. I, I tend to be a little bit more in my own, own little world at, at times, but uh, I just don't like to be tempted uh, with situations that I think are not, not the right situation for me. Well, you've certainly seen um, a number of your colleagues that have uh, sold their practices and, and done it different ways. There, I mean, there's as many models for both the consolidators as well as different models on not just taking a big offer, but um, some alternative exit strategies um, that, you know, that I, I'm sure that you've seen some of those play out. Um, is there anything in particular you think that not enough people are, you know, if they are looking to sell that maybe they're not exploring enough and they probably should? Well, so there is that blended model where you can retain some ownership. Uh, 10 years ago, that model didn't exist because the consolidators were limited in number and they went around and scooped up most of the practices that were mature multi-doctor practices uh, that were profitable and the owners were looking to retire. So since that pool of clinics are not out there, I, I feel like the consolidators have gotten very creative and realize that once again, you've got to have a veterinarian to run a veterinary practice. And what's better than having an associate veterinarian on board is having an owner on board who has some stake in the game. So what is that stake? Everybody has a little different model. Everybody has a little different promise. Um, historically, if you were bought out, then you would be promised a medical director position or a regional medical director position, and you would get 3% of a small percent of a small percent for all of your hard efforts. And so it's changing for sure. And I, I predict more change, you know, that, that might be a more viable option if you're sick of the, the headaches that you're dealing with and you don't want to find those solutions on your own and you wanted to cash in some of your chips, then yeah, maybe you, you go with more of a partial sale and, and you retain some ownership to work out, you know, what, what, what you do and what you don't do, what you are and are not responsible for. But again, I, I guess I'm, I like being the owner. I'm controlling enough. I really don't want to have to answer to someone other than my partner, my business partner. Uh, at this point, uh, I don't, I don't really feel like that's where I'm at in my career. Maybe, maybe it will change, but certainly not anytime soon. You know, when you mention uh, for price owners that, that are just looking to cash in some of their chips, because maybe, I mean, maybe they want to buy a boat, you know, like they've reached a point in their career, but maybe they're not completely ready to cash in everything. You know, we had on the program a few weeks ago, Dan Eisenstadt of uh, the CEO of TerraVet Real Estate. He made some really compelling and interesting points about, you know, a lot of veterinary price owners, their largest asset really is the land that they're sitting on and ways that that can be leveraged, um, you know, and if, if it works out that, that they could end up renting their place and it fits in the numbers that are acceptable for their practice do a little cashing out and do uh, and, and go ahead and buy that boat, but still maintain the veterinary practice ownership. I was like, that's, you know, it, it's great. It's interesting stuff that he's, he's talking about there. Um, but something I'm wondering, and you've come back to it a couple of times now, um, it talking about people uh, finding ways to hand off and get the help that they need, right? For the different things. What in your experience did you find that you, you know, went and, you know, whether it's recruited somebody outside, you know, consultants or a service or someone or a new position that you hired for or bulked up, you know, that allowed you to take enough off your plate that you still knew it was running well, maybe even better than you could do it on your own because you were so busy and that you're, 
you're now owning it the way you know that fits the owner's vision probably one of the, the not one of the the biggest uh factor for me was actually uh joining bmg um it yeah. has surrounded me with some awesome colleagues who are just wonderful resources for anything whether it's a personal issue or it's uh you know a numbers issue so uh, that kind of instantly put me in a, in a circle of, of, of friends and colleagues who I, I really feel like I could call at any point, you know, at, at, during the day if I had a problem or a concern. Yeah, the other BMG thing, outstanding. What a good resource for practice. Yeah, it's awesome. And then, you know, in, in joining that group as well, it, it kind, of, kind of forces you to get your numbers in order. Um, so now my accounting, which really was just kind of in a, another office, um, on the other side of the building with a, with a bookkeeper, sometimes the accountant would show up. I didn't really know if those numbers were good or accurate. And um, so I think, you know, getting, getting these accurate numbers really kind of helps me to, to have a handle on the business. Um, genius Vets, you know, I really struggled with bringing Genius Vets on as, uh, you know, our, our uh, marketing experts uh, to take care of some things. And you know, I, I will share, I was, I was spending $30 a month for four clinics for my uh, website. And retrospectively, it looked like I was spending maybe $28 a month when I really look back at the way the website performed and, and looked. So um, we committed to uh, bringing you guys on and have never looked back. I've been, you know, been super happy with that decision. Um, you know, one thing, since you mentioned it, one thing I will point out, uh, if you don't mind me saying, I, I actually did look back before uh, today, uh, a little bit before this, and I look back to when we, right before we launched your website, and the month before we launched your website, you had 826 visits to your old website that month. And uh, right now for last month, you had a little over 11,000 visits to your website and are just yeah. really, the, you know, used to show up in Google search results only if somebody typed in your practice name. And now it's just like somebody asks a question about veterinary care. If they're in your area, like your site is showing up. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's awesome. It, it's one of those things you get what you pay for. You know, the, the uh, more, more mature I get in my lifetime, I, I definitely start to realize yeah, that you tend to get what you pay for in life. <laughs> so. Um, so what other things, though, in the practice, did you find, you know, certain pain points where you were maybe skeptical to build up a position. It's one of the hardest things in growing any business really is making those decisions where you're going to, you're going to hire up, you know, you're going to, you're going to invest in a department and really, you know, build it out to take something off your plate that you hadn't done before. What are the big ones that you think your, your colleagues should be looking at? Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we have an excellent culture here and, it, and it's not, it's very difficult to define culture because it's the people and it's the feeling, and it's just the way you do things, and it's, you know, why do you do what you do? And so we have always been open to the fact that if, if the right candidate for whatever position uh, we may or may not be looking for walks through the door, we will hire them on the spot. If they have the right attitude, if we feel like they are, quote, unquote, a good fit, then we will open our arms and we will welcome them to the team. So we, we have many, many credentialed technicians. Uh, we actually the very beginning of 2020 put them on salary, which we can do in Georgia because they are credentialed. And uh, my practice manager and I had discussions and we weighed the pros and the cons and we decided, you know what, they deserve it. Let's give them a little more ownership of what they do. They do an awesome job for us. 
And we, we, we had that discussion with every technician and let them choose whether they wanted to or not, which they all chose to. And it just really brought the team together. And so now we have this awesome technical staff. And we also, whenever we bring in, whether it's an assistant or a new technician, we realize that they are here to help us. They are not here to, to take away our job or make us look bad. They are here to join our team. And so we kind of have that, that mentoring at the, the staff level um, versus just the, the associate veterinarian level going on, which has been awesome. Yeah, and that's then we really also a big psychological difference for a team member to go from an hourly employee where you're a, you're a consistent contractor, really. Yeah. And yeah. to, you know, to being on salary, it's like, this is my home. I'm here. It really is a deeper psychological difference and may a lot of times make a deeper difference there than it does in the ultimate, you know, bottom line. Right. Yeah, um, no, for sure. They, they know that they're going to get a steady paycheck. Yeah. And they also know that if they work 44 hours one week, they are able to work 36 hours the next. You know, be fair to us and we will be fair to you. We have to all get along and it, it's got to go both ways. And so that's been pretty huge. And yeah. I'm not a I definitely look at our numbers uh, every month. I mean, really, two days before they're due, I'm in my finance manager's office asking her, you know, how close are you? How close are you to getting the numbers done? Where's my dashboard? Yeah. Um but the truth is, I don't, I really don't manage or practice on a budget. I, I hate a budget, but I like to look back and, and retrospectively see, are we doing the right thing? Uh, and if we're not, we'll, we'll kind of make an adjustment. But just, just doing, you know, putting these higher paid technicians on salary, then I know what my monthly outlay is. I, I know that my labor is going to be good in that department for the entire year. Yeah. Also, we renew, we, we, we have discussions in January. So it's really, really hard for, for our organization to know when everybody's anniversary is and sit down and have that conversation and that review. And so this takes an entire group of employees. And I know come January 1st, I need to, I need to review every one of them within the next couple of weeks. Nice. So it's very helpful. But let me ask you, um, with that change, when you, first of all, when did you make that change? Uh, the very beginning of... January pre-COVID. Oh, okay. So the beginning of last year. Interesting. Yeah. Let me and ask so you, we, oh, what a weird well, year. This might be hard, a hard year because so many changes happen in the practice. Maybe is it, what I was going to, what, what I'm curious to know, and again, there were so many changes last year to the entire business delivery model, service delivery model, that um, it might be hard to pinpoint this, but what I'm, a big topic of conversation over the last two seasons of this, uh, of this weekly webinar um, has been, you know, uh, how to get doctors that, that a big part of the problem of, of uh, finding enough doctors and staff in the industry, a big part of it could be handled by doctors just doing less stuff, like only doing the stuff that only doctors need to do in the practice and allowing vet techs to really, you know, flex all of their skills and, and you know, do everything that they can possibly do and lightening the load and, and making sure that you get, you continue to roll it downhill to the lowest paid employee that's capable of doing that thing does that thing. And this address, this, this ends up hitting profitability, ends up hitting so many things. I'm wondering if you started seeing a shift in your practice about how much stuff the doctors were doing got shifted to vet techs once they came on as salary, if there was a different way that you really viewed them as an organization and utilized them. Yeah, because well, yeah, well, I mean, we've done that from day one. I've always believed that a technician should be a technician, a doctor should be a doctor. 
Mm. And really the doctor, ultimately the doctor should be the authority, the expert on everything the tech is doing, but have the technician do it. Correct the tech if they're not doing it exactly the way you think it should be done. If they question you why, explain why. If you can't explain why, then maybe they know a better way to do it than you. So work <laughs> as that team. But, um, you know, absolutely. We, we don't really want our registered technicians doing laundry at the end of the day. We don't want them doing the hospital cleaning and maintenance unless it needs to be done. And then I, you know, I expect them to do it if, if they're the best person to do it. But day in and day out, they need to do their job. They need to take care of their patients. They need to take care of the clients. They need to educate the clients on why we recommend what we recommend. Um, our technicians, I mean, they, they do a great job with entering all of our charges and all of our notes. Um, I mean, they, they just, they, they make our life very, very easy. We're, we're pretty spoiled here in, in more ways than one, but, but certainly uh, techs are, are a huge part of what we do. Could not do it without them. I mean, such a such one of those other, those big secrets of your success. I can tell you, if every veterinary practice leaned in and did it like that, they would see percentage points added to their EBITDA, like you know, right instantly. They're just, where did this come from? <laughs> it came yeah. from yeah. utilizing staff correctly. It's great. So, this is one of the we've been talking about one of the the best ways to to really maximize you know value of the practice and utilizing the staff correctly, but. You know what are what are other ways that you you think that practice owners could be maximizing the value of their practice and aren't currently doing so? Well, so yeah, I mean it's all about the EBITDA ultimately. Uh, to you as a current owner, to you as a potential seller, uh, and to the aggregator that, that's looking at at buying you. So regardless of where you are in the stage of of your thought process, it's it's all about the EBITDA. So we know that labor needs to be 40%, maybe a little bit less, not a whole lot less because in this day and age, we need to pay our employees fairly. Um, my doctors get a daily email from a consolidator uh, telling them how many jobs are in our area and trying to lure them you know, to, to cross that fence. And so we wanna be fair, but we still need to control that, that labor. One of the best ways to control that labor is keep the revenue going up. So um, cost of goods sold, we want that at 20% or less. We've been pretty fortunate during the past year to run around 15, 16% uh, in our clinics. And uh, the way I personally do that is I am on an accrual basis of accounting. So it's not on the cash basis. We're not talking cash flow. We're talking cost of goods sold. So the best way to get your cost of goods sold down is to buy them at the cheapest price you can. So a lot of people, in my opinion, are looking at the bill that comes in and, you know, maybe they ordered, they overordered in February to account for not ordering much in January. And so February's numbers look horrible. But if you're truly using a cruel method of accounting, you're taking your, your goods when you purchase them, you're putting them on your balance sheet as if it's a separate company. And then as you sell those goods, you're expensing them out. Hmm. And so what I'm saying is take advantage of volume discounts, take advantage of your rebates. If you can order extra product at the end of a certain time period to get a 15% rebate, and then if you can maybe stock up on that category of goods and you've got the cash to do it, you've just lowered your cost of goods sold right off the bat. 
So yeah. that I'm, I'm kind of, I get a little bit passionate about that because I don't feel like ever, and maybe I, I'm not the one that understands it, but that's the way I really see it. And I think that's the best way to, to keep those, those goods down. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting because a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people go in and say, well, you're holding too much inventory. You yeah. know, that's a, that's a problem. You got too much inventory. You have too much of your money is wrapped up in your inventory. And I, I really understand that when it's, you know, I don't know how some practices are offering three, four, you know, different companies versions of kind of the same drug and things like that. You know, it's something Dr. Drake, my partner talks about a lot um, is, you know, choose what you want and get everybody on board with, this is what we're going to offer. And yeah. so clients are hearing the same thing. And then you, you know, one, you can get those discounts because you're buying more of just that. But it seems that 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 gets a little confusing. Like it's not just about lowering your inventory. You're actually stocking up your inventory to achieve, and which I'm is actually, a different approach. Yeah. And it makes all the sense in the world. It's brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing the opposite of what a lot of us think we should be doing. Uh, we have very little inventory. We have six doctors in the practice, and and when I walk by our pharmacy, I'm like, I cannot believe we're practicing with this limited of pharmacy. But upstairs in a locked room, I've got a lot of inventory. And so I, I do think, I think for us, it works. It makes our, our numbers look really, really good and, and, and be, be true to what they are. Um, well, for the benefit of whoever's watching, uh, to be a little bit more tactical about that, you talked about buying them uh, almost as, you, I, th I believe you said, as a separate corporation and, and putting them there and then moving them. And it sounds like, and you actually physically have them in a separate. So are you really doing that? Do you, are you buying them under a separate company and then kind of like selling them to yourself? Are you just buying them and putting them upstairs in a cabinet and then moving it to the balance sheet of the veterinary practice as you move the inventory over? Yeah, we, we had done that historically to supply the four clinics. We, we did create a separate inventory company that became kind of a logistical nightmare and didn't really benefit us. And so now our main hospital acts as that company and we, you know, we buy things, we get the discount, um, you know, so we're just doing it more internally. You know, it yes. is separate, but it's just, again, it's a way to lower those costs of goods. Completely different than hospital supplies. Now, hospital supplies are something that you don't want to stock up on because you usually can't get a great deal on your suture material, your white goods, uh, you know, your bandage material. Um, but I guess to go back a little bit, my thoughts also on, if you're really counting your inventory uh, maybe twice a month to, to try to make sure that you're not having any shrinkage and to make sure you're not over, think about what you're paying the, the person or persons to count that inventory. And if it's needed, it's needed. But if it's not, then move on, count it as needed. So everybody's got a little different opinion there. We, we in our organization tend to be a, a, little, a little bit gray, a little bit loose on, on some of our, our thoughts and ideas, but it's ultimately because our, our, our staff understands our core values. They understand our mission statement. That is really their practice manager. And if correction is needed or direction is needed, we point them to the core values and, and, and that, that's what governs. Yeah, it's a, it's a great agile methodology, you know, that you have there. It's uh, really common in tech companies, you know, agencies, web dev teams and things like that, um, that we approach things in an agile way. So we, we understand really the spirit of what we're going for. We get as much nailed down as is absolutely required, but everything else can be a little bit loose and ready to adapt based on all the changes that are coming at us because you just can't plan every, every darn little thing. <laughs> which which yeah. is a, a great uh, differentiator between a corporately owned 
practice than a privately owned practice. Oh, absolutely. That's, I think that's one of the big differences. There's, there's leeway uh, appropriately. There is management. There is some structure, but there's not micromanagement. Yeah. One, one other that you mentioned, again, in our discussions leading up to this was, um, you know, of the consultants and you listed a few of them, but uh, one you didn't mention was the PEOs. And maybe because, yeah, yeah. Talk about, about, you know, how you got turned on to your PEO and what they've done for you. Because I, I know that a lot of, a lot of practices aren't there, aren't utilizing a PEO. And we are at Genius Vets. We found it to be fantastic. Yeah, we, we love it. So professional employment organization, um, it's basically the way most hospital systems operate uh, in that they have a governing organization, a PEO that is really the employer of the employees. So that's how we're set up. I, I actually am employed by uh, my, my PEO. Um, that gives us some liability protection. We have some insurance that comes into place. We have some HR uh, advisors there. Uh, there's a, a, a My Life Advisor is, is a, a, I guess, a, a place that they can go to uh, they being the employees to get some help if they need some personal help. So there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really great things out there that they do for us and it takes some, some management responsibility off of us and takes some liability uh, off of us. Uh, our workman's comp insurance that whenever we are are renewing that it's not just our group of 65 people it, it's it's a group of 465,000 people that determines our workman's comp. And so it definitely helps with your, your costs, your employment costs. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we love it. We love it. We, we really have too. Uh, we, we switched last year to a company called JustWorks and uh, they've, they've been fantastic. Not as have they helped tremendously with HR. In fact, just got noticed yesterday, somebody here in the great state of Texas decided to file unemployed for unemployment insurance with my name and social security number. Nice. So they were, they were able to see that and flag that and, you know, go ahead and, and, you know, help get it resolved. Um, but the insurance been fantastic. We gave everybody, uh, all of the staff, you know, in, uh, health insurance last year and man, it was great with the pricing was wonderful. So I don't know who, yeah. who you guys work with or if you care to mention it, but uh, you know, yeah, we, I mean, we work with ADP total source. Uh, we were approached by them and, you know, we, we really, uh, yeah, we really value that partnership for sure. That's great. Yeah, it's it's really good advice for anyone who's not using it. Um, fantastic. Well, let's talk about. Uh, let's see. We had a, a number of things on here uh, that I, I I took some notes on the things we wanted to discuss. We've really gone through so many of them without me even like kind of looking back up. Um, let's talk about you know something that that is that's going on a lot. We chat about this um, uh, leading up to this is. A lot of veterinary practices are feeling the pain. They've grown. That you know, the last year has been good to veterinary medicine. Everybody went out and adopted a pet. A lot of practices were up year over year, um, and a lot of them with facing staffing problems um, that the industry got hit with really hard throughout this. Um, attracting doctors and staff long been an issue, even more so now than ever. Um, you know, what are your tips? I know that you you have an organization that has really doesn't have as many problems attracting doctors and staff as you know a lot of veterinarians are having right now uh, practices are having can you you know talk the audience through what is it that you think that you do maybe that in aggregate 
you know, has really uh, made you fortunate in this way, be able to track sure. it. We, uh, you know, what we don't do, I'll start with, is we, we don't really advertise a lot. We, with that said, we have an ongoing ad out. If you are a veterinarian with certain skills that we list out and are interested in joining our group, please contact us. So we, we do have that ad out, but we don't pay for ads. We don't, we don't really, we don't have a recruiter. We don't use a service. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like what, what, What's the secret to the sauce? And the secret is there is no secret. Um, we, we feel like it's word of mouth. It is reputation in the community, involvement in the community, involvement at the vet school, uh, taking on some externs, taking on some interns, um, working at with, with our local Gwinnett Tech College to, to be kind of a, a source for mentoring there. Um, but a lot of it boils down to know the the culture here and our, our staff will recruit uh, for us unknowingly uh, our clients will do the same um, you know it's just it's kind of in our area we try to really be the premier practice uh, in many many different ways and if we have somebody come through the hospital and interview for an associate position we try to be very open and honest and we let them know how awesome our clients are we have a great team. We have a great facility. We have all these tools and toys to use. And, you know, we, you're going to, you're going to love working here. You're going to learn so much from us and we're going to learn so much from you. It's going to be an awesome experience. So that's just kind of the, that's kind of the cheerleading that we do, but, but it, it's, it's the real deal when they, when they show up after they take the job and they show up on day one, they don't get a different version of me or my staff. And then two years down the road, they're still getting the same version because we're very transparent. We, we, we love to take care of our patients, our clients, our community, each other, um, and, and it kind of shows. Yeah, you know, one of the things about your, your, your practice, uh, you, you, you've built this great culture and it's evident without ever picking up the phone to call you guys. Before they've shown up for that interview, there, they already have a first impression that is that's going to be authenticated when they show up, and it's you know that that it really fits what their what their expectations would be, um, because somebody you know if they're looking for for a job in veterinary care in your area, number one, they're going to find your website, they're going to see it, and right. and everything about that you know about your practices is really there. Great pictures of the team and staff, um, tons of information. Uh, pages about every every position that is you know that's available in the hospital. Um, you've got a great social presence that shows that you're engaging. You're engaging the community and in fun ways um, that are both informative and valuable, but also fun. Um, your reviews are incredible. You know, and these are things that they they look at all before they ever reach out. Once they reach out and 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 see what you guys are about. Um, Absolutely, they're they're going to definitely bet us before we bet them for sure. So that's a great point. Yeah, you know, once you once you bring them in, what's your approach to your staff to, um, you know, helping develop them personally, professionally, you know, those aspects of your culture? So we are becoming a little more structured in our mentoring, but, you know, we, we have the discussion. We, we huddle every morning. We have rounds every morning. We talk about what's going on, you know, for that day or what's coming up in the future. And so, you know, Backing up a little bit, if an interviewee is coming in, whether it's lay staff or a doctor, we're going to talk about what that looks like the day that they're coming in and what my expectations are. We're not going to ignore them. We're going to be open, 
honest. We're going to answer questions. We're going to really kind of show them what we're all about. Once they get there, you know, we're going to talk at, to the practice. We're going to really talk, talk through uh, with that new employee what, what, what's the game plan here, right? And, and they're all different. Sometimes they come in and they want to go into exam rooms right on day one. More often than not, they want more mentoring. They want more structure. And so, you know, we really just have an honest conversation. Where are you at? What is, what is your first month look like? Uh, what does it look like from my point of view? What do you, what do you think you need? Um, and we come up with that plan together. And then it's basically, you know, C1, you watch me do a case you and I are going to do a case together and I'm going to watch you do a case. And then by the fourth time you're ready to go, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, you know, it, it, we, we are becoming more structured. I, I just hired someone actually yesterday um, and, and he is going to be an awesome associate, but he has just not gotten experience in school with some of the practical manners like most. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're going to really, we're going to really uh, put some, some pen to paper and come up with a great plan for him. Yeah, it's funny when I uh, last season I was interviewing Dr. Uh, uh, Peter Weinstein. I know you know you know Peter, and um, yeah, he he said a great thing. Said so many of the vets in the SCVMA, you know, are actually worried about the amount of resources they limit themselves on the amount of resources that they want to put into training people because they say, well, what if I give them all this training and they leave? And his his response was fantastic. Well, what if you don't train them and they stay? (laughs) Yeah. No, that, that's true. That's true. Uh, we have to grow, yeah, from, from technicians to receptionists to associates, for sure. If we want them to be little mini-me's, we have to put the time and effort into it, for sure. Absolutely. You know, so much of what we talked about today, I think, kind of culminates in this, in this last topic that I want to touch base um, with you. Um, and that is so many veterinarians with consolidation going on. I mean, it's corporate groups that are snapping up practices, which means every practice across the country is now feeling more of a corporate presence in their local market, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, that can be fear-inducing, especially when you know you go, oh my gosh, you know, Pathway just bought these guys down the street or whoever it might be, right? Um, an NVA or a VCA or anyone. Now they've got, you know, corporate backing with dollars and this and that. They're going to come into my area and put more pressure on me. So one of the things that, you know, I believe that we really want to do for independence is, is just highlight the things that they can do well. Um, how can they outperform these corporate groups? Because if you try and use the same tactics that they'll use, you know, that, that, that's not the way to win. But there's so many things that independent practices can do that, that the corporates just aren't good at or never going to be at. And I think that's where you win. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what are the things that independent practices can do to kind of, you know, build a build a moat around their own local communities and make sure that that they're really delivering in a way that these consolidated or corporate groups won't be able to. Sure. Um, well, I, you know, again, we're going to go back to culture, and I think being true to yourself. If you are the same day in and day out with your clients, with your staff, um, you have the same goals. You understand your why. I think that's that's a pretty pretty big aspect of what we do. You know, if, if you don't understand why you do something, yes, you need to know how, you need to know what you need to do, but why do you do this? Why do we try to not let the phone ring more than three times? You know, and so again, we, we talk through these things. Pretty much everything that is done in my hospital, it, it not pretty much, actually everything that's done in my hospital is done for a reason. And, and I will let staff, you know, know that uh, more often than maybe I should, 
But, um, you know, it's all about the experience. It's about the patient experience, the client experience, the staff experience, you know, your mental health, your paycheck. It, it, it is amazing at what goes into making a successful practice. I, I, there's no way I could even think of, you know, 90%, 80% of, of what we need to do to be successful. But every little thing matters from the way the phone is answered to working in same day appointments, uh, you know, it's my pleasure to serve you instead of no problem. Uh, all of these little bitty things, and, and, and we hear it, it's, it's out in the industry, right? Whether it's listening to Wendy Myers, right? She, she is awesome with CSRs, you know? So um, it's, it's all these little things, but I do think it's about being true to yourself. It's having a, a happy staff, you know, getting your patients well as quickly as you can, informing your clientele of what's going on, what the expectations are, keeps them happy. Um, you know, we, we kind of started a new initiative uh, on our podcast like a year ago. Uh, uh, we, we have a little tagline called Healthy Pet, Happy Life. And that's kind of what we think about. If we keep the pet healthy, we're going to have a happy life as a human. A healthy pet is going to have a happy life. We, we always just kind of focus on taking care of, of all these little working, working points. And so I think when you do that, you, you don't you don't really have to work at, or really, you don't have to worry about your competition because your competition, I mean, you're your own competition. So just, just do what you do well, and you're going to attract those clients that you want, and they're going to love you. You're going to love them. It's going to be a beautiful relationship. Um, it's just, it's just, there's nothing in particular, I think that we do well, but I think we do a lot of little bitty things very well all put together and makes us uh, successful. You know, a, a couple of the things that you said there that really, really stood out to me um, is, is one, knowing your why. And and really, I think that's a massive differentiator for independent practices versus corporate groups, because there just tends to be this once the ownership has left the practice and it's just it's a corporate group, they just don't have that same rallying point of the why anymore. I mean, they all do. Everybody in the veterinary industry are good people. They're in it for good reasons and all of that, really. But, you know, you just don't quite get the same passion and that same connection that makes everything resonate authentically, you know, um, as when you really focus yeah. on your why. So that, that's a huge thing, focusing on that. Um, and you've said that yeah, so, a little ways time and time again here. What was that? Yeah. Recently, I uh, received something in the mail from a uh, corporate consolidator, and it's actually a book on their why. Hmm. And before I opened the book, I know what their why is. <laughs> and cents. That's why they bought a veterinary practice, right? They don't work in the practice. They don't, they don't take care of animals. They don't provide nursing care. They don't have the client interaction. But yet we have an entire booklet that's produced that talks about for the love of people and animals or something along those lines is their why. So I just that, that was that really hit home. Like that is not their why. And so they found the marketing you know, message. It, it's just, but it's not true. It's not really authentic it, to what they're yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. So uh, again, people are going to see through that. I would certainly see through that if I worked for them. So anyway. Oh gosh, if more not, people could see through things uh, uh, really well today, if we could just hand out the x-ray yeah. glasses and people could see through what's yeah. and what, what, what not to, that's, oh man, the crux. I heard a, um, I heard a very um, wise man say not too long ago when we're talking about corporate sales, uh, his statement was, you are going to 
make a lot more money owning a veterinary practice than you ever will selling a veterinary practice. And I truly believe that. Believe that. If you think about, if you can just retain ownership, let's say you're 20% EBITDA and it's a million dollar practice. Uh, so every year you're making $200,000. And let's say a corporate consolidator comes in and offers you, you know, maybe five times your earnings, which is a million dollars. So if you do the math with this particular practice, every five years, you made your million dollars that you would have made when you sold it, but you still own the practice. And now your practice hopefully is doing 1.5 million or 2 million. So that's definitely my mindset. You know, I, I, I am fine to put in the sweat equity and the mental, mental equity uh, to, to achieve my goals. And, you know, my end game, I don't even know what my end game is, but it, it's certainly not to get out of veterinary medicine anytime soon. Yeah, I love it. I love it. We need you and we need a lot more like you. So uh, I, I don't know. It'd hope... be a scary place if there were more like me. <laughs> uh, come on. We have a lot more uh, really happy, well-adjusted, successful veterinary practice owners and a lot more staff that just loves the the place they work inside and out and and uh, just a lot of happy pets running around and just be, be, a, be a great situation. That's the go. That is the go. Well, Dr. Miller, uh, everything that I that I thought the interview would be, it has been. You're, you're really, um, you know, you're, you're humble, you're very modest, but you are wicked smart and very successful, and for reasons that are very evident to me, um, and all of the, the the knowledge bombs you were dropping here today. So, I truly, thank you so much for taking some time to share some of your expertise and experience. Uh, gathered wisdom uh, with our audience here today. I know that they benefited from it as well. Um, in closing, is there anything that you would recommend um, that any of your colleagues that might be you know, watching here today that they reach out and do? Um, you mentioned VMG, uh, anything else that, that you think that they should take some steps on if they really want to help themselves? Well, yeah, I just think, you know, get your house in order, whatever that means to, to each individual. If you are weak in marketing, consider, you know, giving Genius Vets a call. They may or may not be the right company for you to work with. Um, if you are having trouble with your local CPA and getting your numbers right and your accounting right, you know, there, there's, there's resources in KSM, you know, which works with BMG uh, very, uh, very tightly. There, there are resources out there. So, um, you know, find some colleagues that you can talk to, bounce some ideas off of, Use a consultant when you when you need to when you when you feel like you you are at your wits end then that's a great thing to do but also you know really believe in yourself and uh, you know you, what's in your head and, and what what your true why is I'll go back to that you know that's super important because that that's what keeps at least me coming to work every day enjoying what I do it's different every day but I, I just love it and. Um, whatever that is that's going to make you happy and how you need to get there that that's where we all need to be yeah that's fantastic great great notes a lot of wisdom thank you so much anybody wants to uh follow along with dr miller what their practice is doing how they're connecting with people and and see for yourself what the things that are making them so successful check out their website mygavet.com and through there you can check out you know their facebook and instagram and all the fun things that they're doing to connect with people so um, until next time, oh yeah, if you're a veterinary practice owner, you might not realize, but it's true, you have a full page profile uh, featuring your practice right now at GeniusVets.com. So I sure hope we got all the information correct. You should go check it out. Go to GeniusVets.com start. 
Um, and there is a link in chat that you can go ahead and click. There's a short video on there, one minute video to show you what it's all about. It's very easy to find your practice and claim your profile. It's 100% free. It's just one of the many ways here at Genius Vets that we're trying to really give back to independent veterinary practices across the country. So check it out and uh, join us next week. Um, we are going to be having a huge event where all of the interviews that we have been conducting over the past several weeks, industry leaders, veterinary practice owners, we're gonna tie them all together into a, I think that works out to be about a six hour webinar um, where every one of these questions, it's on April 9th, every one of these questions that we have been uh, uh, talking about uh, for the past few weeks, gonna edit all of these brilliant bits of wisdom together into individual sessions. And we're gonna give out tons of prizes. It's very fun. So check it out, uh, make sure to register for that. We will be sending out a link to the webinar replay if you're interested in that. And uh, connect with us, geniusvets.com. Thanks so much for making us part of your week. And we'll talk to you again. See you soon.